Hi, my name is Bill Kokenauer, and I'm part of the Exponential team, and it's, I want to welcome you to this discussion on church facilities with our guests, Don Mahoney and Matt Roberts of Building God's Way. Uh, Building God's Way is an architectural firm that works uh, almost exclusively with churches and Christian schools, and uh, so Don and Matt, welcome. Thanks for, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Great to be with you, Bill. Don, why, why don't you give us a little bit of your background and kind of how you got started in this line of work and what you're doing now. Well, Matt, you want to jump in first? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Matt Roberts. I have the privilege of leading a network of local churches called the Genesis Project. And uh, our heart as a church planting organization is to plant churches in places where uh, maybe churches don't make sense um, in some of the hardest and darkest areas and communities of our nation. And uh, I currently lead our campus uh, here in Ogden, Utah, and uh, have been here for the last 12 years. And through that time, we have partnered with Building God's Way on multiple projects and multiple campuses. And uh, with this idea that, man, planning a church for people who don't do church is a great ministry model, uh, but sometimes it struggles as a financial model. And so we have had to uh, really think outside of the box and building God's way has just become a critical partner in planting churches alongside of us and helping resource churches. And uh, we've had the privilege of working uh, alongside uh, many of the projects that they do and saying, how do we think outside of the box? How do we think as entrepreneurs and uh, how do we see church buildings as a tool of sustainability and maybe not just a liability for a church? Excellent. Excellent. Thanks for being here. Oh, Bill, I'll give you a little bit on myself. Uh, Matt's coming from a pastoral background and uh, training. I, I'm an architect and uh, been doing this now for 39 years. Uh, hard to believe for a guy that's my age, but that's the way it is. So we uh, started out uh, back in 1982 and uh, spent the first 20 years of my career doing performing arts uh, type of design. So I uh, got involved in a lot of uh, arts facilities of various sorts, uh, which sort of naturally lent themselves to churches because of a lot of the crossover to uh, those kinds of spaces. And uh, 18 years ago, uh, 19 years ago now, I made the switch to Building God's Way, became a partner of a firm which later has evolved into an employee-owned firm. So I serve as the, uh, the chair of a board of directors as an employee of Building God's Way and uh, am involved on a day-to-day -day basis with design still, along with a very talented staff of individuals, young, committed, uh, extremely engaged individuals at Building God's Way on the design side that uh, work on our projects with me. And uh, in many regards, I've, I've learned from them, from our younger staff who have really helped me evolve uh, from from the, the past, which was really a training largely that, that sort of taught architects that the process of architecture was all about the architect. That's evolved into really trying to understand that um, the best process is really a collaborative process between those that are ministering out of a facility along with the contractors who will be building it. And that includes the subs. Subs have a lot of great ideas that are rarely tapped. And at BGW, we really learned from them and continued to evolve into an organization that, that has designed better and better and more resourceful 
and more flexible buildings from those other than architects, uh, those that minister out of the buildings and those that, uh, that build the buildings. And so I have the privilege of serving as the president of that board for a few more years, and then I'm going to pass the torch along to some really talented folks here at BGW. How did, how did BGW get started? Was it, I'm, I'm guessing with the name Building God's Way, was the focus on facilities for religious institutions from the beginning? It was. It was started by my partner, who's now retired. Uh, uh, Dan, Dan Cook was a general contractor and an architect, which is kind of a rare commodity in today's world. And Dan um, had a passion, having built a Christian school here where we live. I, I live in, in Utah, uh, and uh, a Christian school is a rare event in the state of Utah. And Dan made the best of collaborating with all of the local resources, including the suppliers and the subs, and turned that into Building God's Way. And I joined him shortly thereafter, uh, having come out of a private practice that I had. And so joined a group of individuals that uh, really branched well beyond the borders of Utah. Most of our projects are around the United States and out of the United States. We've, we've done projects in Canada and South America and so forth. So, Matt, how did you, how did you get connected with building God's way? By the way, I think it's cool that you're a church planting church and I'll email you later, but um, I, I want to make sure you take the multiplication assessment. The last couple of years, Outreach Magazine has asked us to put together a list of 100 reproducing churches that and and we've told them each it's not about ranking them it's about building a community so we give a brand new th list of 100 every year so uh, wow, i'll get awesome you know, and and brooks maybe yeah. if, if anybody else is interested you can put that that link uh in the chat to the to the assessment but how did you how did you get connected with building god's joy what uh... yeah so we it was kind of wild man we moved into utah recognizing that um the state of utah was by and large just a place that desperately needed uh, the gospel to be preached. Um, one of the the most unchurched areas in the United States and um, largely considered a place where, where church plants and church planters came to die. It was just a really hard place to, to be sustainable in, in a mission because it was such hard uh, growth, such a hard area to be in. So when my wife and I packed up, uh, we had just finished up at Denver Seminary and felt God calling us to come to Utah. Um, and in a lot of fear and trepidation, we showed up here not really knowing what we were going to find and just happened to move into Ogden where Building God's Way was located. And uh, so just seeing a billboard driving down the road or a, a sign at the front of their building uh, really sparked curiosity and said, well, this is uh, clearly something that uh, that maybe we would be interested in. And so have really had a relationship from the beginning. Um, Building God's Way has been, like I said, a partner with us in planting churches, has really uh, helped bolster our vision to, to multiply and to do that well, do that better. Um, and we've done multiple projects with them at our campuses. So as we've collaborated with them, we've uh, used their services many times in our campus here in Ogden and, and then planting around the country. So it, it's been a great partnership for us because, man, that was just a skill set that we don't learn in Bible college and seminary, right? Like how do we build buildings and do it effectively? And what does this look like? All, all I knew is we needed a building and it was great to connect with a group of guys who knew uh, how to make that happen for us. So. That's great. Well, Don, yeah. I'm, I'm interested in, in kind of what you're seeing. I'm, I'm, 
of the belief that we're in one of the most dynamic times, perhaps the most dynamic time in the history of the, the church in the United States. And uh, a lot of changes, I mean, pre-COVID, there were a lot of changes that um, we were just sensing and seeing uh, across the landscape. And, and uh, you know, when you've gone through a time where unprecedented is overused and, and continues to apply, you know, it's a significant uh, period. But um, there were uh, in, you know, probably, um, one of the one of the words that I've heard a lot is accelerating, and that really has has certainly has happened. Have you seen what, what are trends that you were seeing in building development, building design, maybe pre-COVID? Has and how has that changed over the last year? You know, that, that's really interesting that you use that word accelerated. We, we've talked around around the office about this uh, multiple times in the past few months, and a lot of those things that were happening back in nineteen just uh, picked up inertia. Um, things like the need for flexibility. You know, we, we've talked about flexibility, but nowadays, uh, especially with the uncertainty of what's coming at us now, you know, there, there's a lot of articles that, that put forward the idea that, that we know what's coming around the bend. And the truth is, is not too many people really know. You know? It's really different for a lot of different churches. And so, but the need for flexibility is something that has just been amplified. You know, um, folks being able to be agile, light on their feet, understanding how to do things. And I think, um, you know, a lot of our discussions in years past were, how can we get the church through a facility design to be more apt to meet the community? I think that's, that is even more so now is how do we re-engage with community? How do we do that? Not just the community of people that are already included in the church, but the surrounding community is how do we, how do we bring that connection back or how do we create that connection? And how does that happen in our facility? Um, what are some of the things? Now, all of that presupposes that you have people who are willing to do that. So great, great architecture isn't going to solve that if you don't have the people there that have the heart attitude to meet that community. And uh, so, but if the people are ready, if the people understand that they're, that they're missionally, you know, established to be able to spread the gospel and you provide them a facility, that's a really good combination. So that's, that's one of the things we talk about a lot these days is how do we do that in a more meaningful way? Yeah. And flexibility certainly, um, you know, Matt, you've seen that, you know, just uh, as I've talked to pastors over the last year, just in not knowing, depending on where you're at in the country, what's you kind of have two parallel pressures. What's happening in the next yeah. two or three years and what will it look like a year down the road? That's uh, right. Yeah. So uh, what does what's flexibility look like for you? What how's that looked for you over this past year? Yeah, Bill, I think you hit the nail on the head that for us as visionary leaders and pastors, we've had to move from kind of these five, 10 year goals and visions and really just say, what, what are we going to look like today? Which my guess is for all of us as pastors, that has greatly changed from, you know, our planning sessions in December of 2020. I don't know how many of us as pastors prepared a sermon series, 2020 vision, right? And then you just crumple that up and throw it out, hit, yeah. hit March of last year. Where are we going now? And, and how are we responding today? And one of the things that we've said a lot around our churches is to find the discipline in times like this to let dead things die. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, to, to take ministries and thoughts and ideas that maybe have been on life support inside of our ministries for a long time. Uh, but yeah. we've given the illusion of life just through movement and activity and just keep going because that's what we do. Right. Yeah. And uh, I think this last year has given uh, a lot of churches the freedom to maybe dream a new dream. Um, there's probably been a lot of golden calves inside of our churches that just naturally were killed. And my, my hope is for our church and for the church of America is that we'll see that this was a blessing that maybe as all the indicators show, we're coming out of this smaller, but maybe stronger, maybe with a, a, a focus and a determination uh, that wasn't there a year ago. And I think that's about, that, that's what flexibility is about to me and to, to our ministry is it's not about trying to get back to where we were, that ship has sailed, right? The, it's about maybe an opportunity for all of us, uh, I love the beginning of the book of Joshua, where God says, uh, Moses is dead. It's time to move forward, right? And and maybe this is a moment for us as a church to say, okay, uh, we've heard about a post-Christian culture coming since I was in Bible college 25 years ago, right? And I think that acceleration, what we see is uh, now we have to deal with this fact that that came upon us uh, a lot faster, yeah. And maybe a lot more unceremonious than we thought it was going to. So how do we respond? And uh, as Don said, anybody who's saying we've got this figured out and we know where you should go, like be wary of that, right? How do we figure out in our context, in our cities and, and respond accordingly? Yeah. No, I mean, so listen to Matt, you know, talk about that, you know, just the, the idea that, you know, it's difficult to plan. And what you were saying about flexibility, how does that factor in to when you're developing facilities, when you're designing and developing facilities that have a brick and mortar component to them, you know, that, I mean, once that foundation's poured, once those walls go, you know, it's not as easy to, um, to change those. So how do you, how do you build flexibility in the, into the work that you're doing in serving churches? Well, I think uh, you change the things you can change and you try to set things up so that you don't box yourself in. I, I remember in, in the olden days, my my uh, internship years and the next 15 or 20 years, I don't think I did too many buildings that weren't load-bearing masonry wall buildings. I mean, and that, that was what churches were all about was establishing that rootedness to the community through the, the kinds of construction that we did, that it was there to last forever, to stand the test of time. You know, I remember my architecture professors impressing upon us the need for timeless facilities. I'm telling you, there's no such thing as timeless facilities in our world today. <laughs> I mean, you know, today it's all about how do we assess what's going on around us and make changes. And that has implications in the way that we put a building together. Um, there are things that can be changed, though, too, to bring a sense of, of um I guess, more relevancy to a, a facility, things that are easier to change. Uh, things like color. Color is one of those things that oftentimes becomes a signal device to the surrounding community. As, are you relevant or not based on color of all things? But that's because we've tra- been trained as Americans to to use color as a signal device to the surrounding community that we're, we're in on it. We know. We know what's going on. And so, you know, that's one of those things that's easy to change. We, we, talk, we talk about that a lot of times in design about the free tools of architecture is what are the things that are free that we can use as those kinds of devices to uh, upgrade or change or alter. That doesn't take a lot to reinvent 
uh, a facility. And, you know, there's always going to be a need for um, gathering space. I think that gathering space may change in the way that it, that it uh, in the short term, especially as people are, are learning or relearning how to gather. Uh, but how does that space work itself out and how is that going to shift and alter as the, as the future goes on? So if you can go into a facility, and we've, we've got a number of these under, under design and construction right now, going into open free span spaces or spaces designed for uh, retail, a lot of times you can, you can have flexibility inside some existing repurposed facilities that really assists and aids in doing that as opposed to facilities like I used to design, which were all load bearing and fixed in place. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to, to think about it. And you're actually building the flexibility in the way that with the clear spans with um, and, and making that building be able to adapt in the future to whatever it might need to be instead of just assuming that's, that's going to be the footprint of the church for a hundred years, you know, yeah. um, or, or looking for those facilities too. I mean, we're in an age right now where, 2019 was the biggest year for uh, retail and office building availability to for repurposing. And we went from 10,000 structures that came available to the market to a, a number that was 20% higher than that last year. And 2021 is going to be even higher than that as people are purchasing re their retail products in a different way as they're working from home. I mean, even our office, you know, we're, our lease is up in a few years and we've been talking about, you know, how many days a week are people going to be working out of their houses and do we need as much space? And how can we use that space in our own offices to integrate others who are not part of us so that we can, we can become part of their community? So, so merging outside community with the church or with individuals who are of the church I think is going to be something that we're going to really begin to explore in a much more intricate way, I think, in the future. Talk a little bit more about the availability of retail space that could be adapted for church use, because it sounds like from what you're saying that that not only was an opportunity before, but it's a growing opportunity for churches, but nothing's ever a silver bullet either, you know? So what, what are, like, what, what counsel would you give to a church that might be uh, to, to be on the lookout for something like that? Or are there things that they should look for, things that they should be careful of? Yeah, so so going in, um, in most of these facilities, you are talking about a change in the use and the code allows the code official to upgrade the building to current standards. So that can be a trip hazard for a lot of churches if they go in blindly and just purchase a building, then they find out, my gosh, look at all the things we need to do. But going in nowadays with the, with the cost of, of uh, products escalating with the cost of labor beginning to escalate now too. Um, and the time that it takes to go through the process of zoning approval and everything else, repurposing can be a real time advantage and a real cost advantage. And so thinking through those things carefully to make sure that we're not going to get tripped up by some of the code things that come along, making sure that it's you know in the right location. You don't want to you know, end up in a situation where you get a really cheap building, but it's totally in the wrong location and people uh, won't seek you out or see you. Uh, but we've, we've seen um, some churches, uh, one we have just about ready to open down in Atlanta where they went in and purchased a Lowe's store that lost out to Home Depot in that neighborhood. And the Lowe's store became available and allowed them to accelerate their building program to the point where they were able to get it done in, in a fraction of the time with far less site development costs. So 
one of the big advantages of going into repurposed facilities is you don't have to go in and build the parking and, and change the water drainage and all that kind of stuff. And so there's some huge advantages. It used to be in architecture. I remember when I first got in, I would set aside about 15% of the budget for site development. Nowadays, that's closer to 50 to 100% of the cost of the building for site development. So if you can find a facility that has a lot of those things behind it, boy, it's given you so much advantage. Yeah, good counsel too, to not just assume though, that there there may be some other things in bringing up to code or, or whatever it might be that, that make sure you're, there, you're checking those out. But Matt, how, as a pastor, as a church planning pastor, how are you thinking differently about facilities now, or, or maybe even, you know, maybe it hasn't changed that much just because of COVID, but you, you know, what I've found with church planning pastors, they have more of a sending and releasing mindset, you know, mm-hmm. not a, let's see how big we can grow it here kind of mindset. Yep. How, how do you approach facilities as you're thinking about them for Genesis Project? Absolutely. I think we see facilities as um, really removing the label of, hey, this is the place where we worship and this is a place where we do church and uh, um, nothing else. And really trying to figure out how do we create hubs of community uh, where we're planting that uh, can be an open door a revolving door. Uh, again, more and more, we live in a post-Christian world. And we've been seeing this in a lot of the areas that we've planted. Um, you know, we have a church plant in Portland, Oregon. And what we realize in a place like Portland in the inner city is people aren't just dropping by a church building because there's a cross uh, or, or a steeple and saying, hey, I wonder what's going on here. By and large, we live in a world uh, of people who never grew up in church. Uh, they they think what goes on inside of our church buildings is odd and it's weird. And, you know, media has taught them that we're all kind of on this lunatic fringe as the church. And it's very intimidating to step through those uh, front doors. And uh, I think from a missionary mindset, uh, probably none of us would ever uh, go, you know, into Turkey and say, hey, I wonder what's going on in that mosque. I'm going to go check it out. I'm, I'm going to show up there. Uh, at their next worship service. And I just want to see out of curiosity, it's a very intimidating thing. And so what we want to create in facilities and buildings aren't church buildings. Uh, We want them to be buildings that are meeting the needs of the community that are creating a people flow and touch points uh, that maybe aren't inherently uh, spiritual in nature, right? We don't want to bait and, you know, bait and switch people into coming into our buildings. But one of the things we say all the time is we want our buildings to be a tool that's used, uh, even abused inside of our community. And when people come through our doors, we have one goal to elicit the question, who are these people and why do they care so much? Uh, Why did I have such a hospitable experience there? Because we know once we can elicit that question, uh, the, the answer is what's profound, right? And so the, the idea is how do, we, how do we open up the idea of a church building for everybody? And a lot of times that means just even removing the label of church, because sometimes if it's a church building, you're automatically telling a huge segment of your community that you don't belong here. And, and so we really want to lead with an open door policy and, and go from there. I love that missionary mindset. Uh, maybe you could, Don or Matt, some more specific examples. I love love that approach. Are there are there specific examples of of facilities you can say here's here's what we did here and here's that here how here's how that is connecting with the community. Well, I think a lot of it comes down to partnering too with with different organizations in the community. 
you know, it, it's interesting. When we first started talking about this uh, half a dozen years, well, more than that, I guess it's been 10 or 12 years ago, we were talking about developing sustainable models like this. We would oftentimes find ourselves arriving at the church to do a design and them saying, well, can you tell us what our mission here is locally and who we're supposed to reach? And I said, I don't live here. You, you know your community. It's time to do some mining work here. Let's talk about how we find out where the needs are here. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what is going on in your community? And as distasteful as it sounds to go ask your government leaders, sometimes it's forming relationships to those government leaders. We're doing one in Black Earth, Wisconsin right now, a church that has gone to the school district and said, what do you need? And they said, well, we need performing arts facilities. We, we don't have any money to build one. And your facility could serve that purpose. And so what they're talking about doing is creating a performing arts facility that, by the way, they'll happen to worship in as well. But its primary focus to begin with to the community is going to be a place where people can come and see different aspects of the arts in that facility and for them to get in their path. We see that with children's uh, facilities, too. Um, Traditionally, churches have struggled with pre-K, but if pre-K is done right, uh, Matt works with a couple of different organizations, Lionheart and Learning Care Group through the Genesis Group, that um, have done pre-K in an excellent way so that the church can can be um, eliminated from having to to be the primary business uh, person involved in that relationship. And instead, they focus on the ministry aspect of reaching kids. Mm. So I think, um, you know, Assessing, understanding, looking around, seeing what's going on in the community that's specific to your community. You know, um, a lot of folks will see something successful in community A that they've gone to visit and they'll, they'll bring it back and think, well, uh, this is what we need to copy when in fact their community may not have that need. So really getting specific about your local area and where the needs are is so important to developing programs. Yeah, that, it, it's interesting. That missionary mindset, there, that's part of, I think, what's underlying some of the significant shift that we're seeing. You know, the, the, yeah. the other model of, okay, who's the, you know, Saddleback Sam and Sally that, you know, is going to be coming in here and, you know, which, which is, you know, I think can still be perhaps a viable model in some areas. But more and more, we need to be thinking in terms of missionaries and what the, how can we partner with the community. But um, Matt, you so who, who are some of, he mentioned some of the ones that you're partnering with. How, how has that gone partnering? Are there any, any pitfalls, any, any recommendations that you have with uh, about partnering with other organizations as you're developing facilities? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We love the idea of partnership um, because what we know, even as pastors, uh, even if I had the skill set to run a childcare center, which I don't. And my guess is most pastors don't, uh, do we have the bandwidth, right? Like, is that pulling us off mission and, and who and what God has called us to do? Now we're like, completely immersed into running a business. And that's not who God has called the church to be. It's not what God has called us to be as church leaders. And so we really believe in the model of saying, let's bring in professionals whose, uh, whose training, whose expertise, whose passion and vision is to run these ministries, really freeing the church up to be the church. And, and that's our goal inside of every business model that uh, oftentimes, man, if the churches become a place of business and, and it becomes all about like producing finances and, and how do we get our highest and best return out of these things, there's always uh, that missional shift that takes place, right? We begin to drift away from who God's called us to be as the church. And so in, in every 
situation where churches are using their buildings in new and unique and entrepreneurial ways, uh, what we try to do is is to connect that church with uh, not only a partner to run it, but a resource of ministry, right? To do the best that they can do. And I think a lot of times, so when we talk about childcare, um, childcare is, I think, probably the most exciting model that we see coming into play right now. And there's a lot of indicators for this, mainly because uh, more and more we see mom and dad having to work, especially in city centers, especially in some of the places where we're planting and growing churches. Is it, It's almost impossible in our world for a young family to live off of one income, especially as they're starting out in raising children. And man, what an opportunity for the church to jump into that space and to love kids, uh, to raise kids in, in, in the gospel and in the word of God. But also you have got 10 built-in touch points with mom and dad every week. Drop off, which we often say this, like a cup of coffee to a single mom dropping her toddler off at six o'clock in the morning to daycare is like the hands and feet of Jesus, right? <laughs> like here's a free cup of coffee to you and just showing that love but also gives us the opportunity to, to do that well and to do that with excellence. Because most people think about church childcare and they think about like this bottom tier of education. If kids even get educated at all, untrained, unqualified staff, and even a lot of church people who have been in the church for a long time have a bad taste in their mouth because they can say, man, we lost our shorts on, we tried to do a childcare in the eighties and it cost us money. We had to, fire workers and there was infighting and it caused the church split. All of these horror stories that we hear that we say, man, we can actually do this well, do this right, where the church is offering world-class education for kids, which oftentimes is more of a love language. So a lot of the schools we're opening right now uh, are built around coding and, and sciences and mathematics, which is crazy for me to think about that for three-year-olds, right? But we're offering high quality education inside of the church, which maybe is mom and dad's highest and best value of what they're looking for. But in the meantime, we get to preach the gospel and proclaim the gospel over a long haul. So does, and now all of a sudden, we don't have to be frantic to give some type of a weird altar, altar call, <laughs> you know, during parent night, you know, but we know that, man, we have days and we have weeks and we have months to uh, love this family and to preach the gospel uh, without using words, right? So it, it's one of the things that excites us about all of these models is this, that if you bring in the right partners with the right expertise, uh, then we can let the business be a business while freeing up the church to be the church. And, and it just cleans up that process in every situation uh, so much more. I think that's one of the cool things that's, that, it, it, that are happening now. Uh, Matt, you mentioned that you thought the church was going to come out of this stronger. I'm, I'm of the same belief. You know, I, I think from an, from an outside perspective, it may not look like that because there will be, I think Barnes suggested 25% of churches closing and attendance will be down, but the, the, mm -hmm. the missional um, energy of the church seems to be uh, being ignited in, in a yes. way that's, that's really powerful. And, and, and Don, you know, it, it, at Exponential, we, we talk about five levels of churches, you know, one level one being churches in subtraction, level two being churches that are plateaued, level three being the addition churches. These, this is typically what we've championed in the past as uh, what you should shoot for is to grow it as big as you can. Level four, what we call reproducing churches. These are churches now have begun to 
to plant or uh, invest in, in um, I guess one way to say it is it, not just investing in their own orchard, they're investing in, in building other orchards. Level five, we talk about multiplying and probably the easiest way to think about level five is, is reproduction to the fourth generation, planting a church, a planted a church, a planted a church and so on. And uh, my guess is, and that's where I'm excited to have Matt take the assessment. My guess is he's level four. But one of the things that I've noticed is there's a, there's a significant shift in the scorecard from three to four. At, at, at level three, the primary metric of success is around addition accumulation, weekend gathering, uh, income. I, I mean, that's why I think it was so, the COVID was so disruptive. Uh, the primary metric of a level four leader, level four church, will um, still measure those things, but in terms of their primary metric of success, it tends to be around either um, sending and releasing or community transformation, where they really see, you know, God's called us to this city. That's going to change. The, how, how would you see that impacting facilities? A, 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 you know, the, a level three church that, hey, it's our job, you know, we just want to grow it as big as we can, and we're, you know, that's uh, to one that's, no, we're, we're more about about sending and releasing. No, I think I think some of that was certainly uh, evident before COVID came along. Um, we we saw churches that were going to not not just uh, sending an individual or a family out, but sending a group out and splintering off and subdividing like an amoeba might, and mm -hmm. sending them out, but but leaving them tethered and bringing some of the things that were successful to the first group um, in terms of some of the decisions so that they could learn from that and send them out and leave that tether there in place so that they can then be successful and beget and beget and beget. And so that has continued forward. We, we work with a number of different organizations that have got that down. Some of that is um, the, the tether. Some of that is, is knowing when to let loose of the tether as well too. We, we see some of that happening in today's world. Um, it, it's interesting, um, you know, the, the satellite churches, uh, some of that evolves naturally, I think, because an organization that has become big and knows their community, knows the nuances within a certain city perimeter. And so they're able to go to other parts of the city and successfully plant in a, a geographically distinct zone in a better way than somebody can come in clear from the outside. I know Matt's the exception to that. Matt, Matt has gone out to communities and just in, engrossed and become in, immersed in that community to learn some of those things. But a lot of uh, what we see nowadays is doing it in a, a little bit different manner. Um, so I, I think uh, Matt's model is a little bit different though. He's going to some of the most troubled areas of a community and tackling things that a lot of other churches locally won't tackle. So yeah. two different models there. I, I, I was hoping he was going to tell the story of the one over in Fort Collins when he went over to Fort Collins with his group. And, and, uh, well, you've piqued my interest now. Yeah. Matt, tell us about that. Yeah. So and we have an incredible team in Fort Collins, Colorado, um, actually a campus there led by uh, the, the man who led me to Christ when I was a teenager was my youth pastor. And uh, Rob Coles is uh, leading Genesis Project Fort Collins, planted the church there, um, had been in a what we call a mega church model 
uh, for a lot of years. And I just came to the point where um, he said, man, I just want to love people the way that Jesus loved people and had an opportunity as a church to go in and to purchase a strip club. Uh, they went to the leaders of their community and said, "Where, where's the darkest place in our community? Um, this strip club had multiple murders that took place in the parking lot. It was a hub for uh, sex trafficking, uh, a place where, as you can imagine, girls in a college community uh, there at Colorado State University were uh, promised a lot of things. You can graduate without debt. You know, you can just come and do this for a couple years, uh, knowing that it was just a, a, a trap. And um, the the owner of that strip club actually, uh, through a men's group, co- completely separate of, of Genesis Project, um, was invited to church and had a radical encounter with Jesus and realized uh, actually being invited to his five-year-old daughter's kindergarten classroom where all the other dads were talking about what they did when they went to work uh, for the first time in his life experienced conviction and realized I can sell this building as a business and perpetuate the damage that's been done in this community um, for the last 20 years, or I can do something different. And so he began to reach out to, to local churches. And as you can imagine, not many were interested in purchasing a functioning strip club with all of the, the X's and O's that came along with that. But today, man, that campus is still there at that location, just added a brand new 20,000 square foot building onto the back of that strip club, uh, leaving that building as a place where um, today, uh, I think five of the dancers uh, that lost their job when we bought the building have been baptized in that very same building. You know, a place of death became a place of life and hope, which uh, for us is really just, uh, uh, we always talk about this, like that building is actually a very tangible picture of the gospel, isn't it? Yeah. O- old things being made new. And so we can point to a building and like, yep, this is what Jesus does yeah. uh, in, in the in the human heart. A redemption, yeah, a redemption story in the building and the facility itself. Yeah, yes. that, yeah. That, and again, the, the the missionary mindset is so critical because somebody might hear that story and say, "Well, that's what we're gonna we're gonna go buy a yeah. you know, strip club," and 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 you could you could actually do more harm by displacing yes. that. And, and you know, but what I loved about your story is you have you now have five of the women that have been part of that that have become part of this community. So being able to um, yeah, that's why the the, miss, the the missionary mindset, you know, is so. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and you, you can't miss in that story that the, the, the catalyst, the missional catalyst was that previous owner mm-hmm. who had just, he inherited this business from his father. He worked in that strip club since he was 14 years old. So for me to go in uh, as an outsider and be like, this is gross and this is disgusting and how dare you which I never would, but man, I didn't have a place or a voice inside of that community. Right. But now all of a sudden it's not a church coming in saying, man, we're anti all of the people who are a part of this. And this is so unholy and so unrighteous and we're going to shut it down. The voice of that movement became the story of a man whose life was changed by Jesus. And now all of a sudden it's not a church story anymore, right? It's a heart story. And it makes all the difference in the world. And I think that's where we try to lead all churches, right? If there's not a heart story, if there's not a story of transformation attached to your building, you're missing the boat, right? Like if there's people these days, especially millennials that are more and more becoming the voice of the church moving forward, they're not excited about writing a check for a building. 
Yeah. Right. But the moment that you can show that a building is just a tool. And one of the things that we say often is this, that Bill, I could show up to your garage, go into your toolbox, and I could probably find the tools that you use the most because they're oil stained and they're beaten up. And like, if I find a pristine tool in your toolbox, my guess is that is not a useful tool for you. That's something that someone bought you that you never figured out how to use, how to make useful. And so we want to build buildings that get used. We want to build buildings that, uh, that have a heartbeat behind them, that when people walk in through front doors, they're not looking at architecture they're not looking at design. They're not saying, wow, look at this carpet. It's incredible. But they're seeing the story of the gospel played out in people's lives all around them and can't help but ask the question. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful metaphor, the, the building as a tool. Um, yeah, there's sometimes we're tended to th- we tend to think, well, buildings are no longer necessary for the church. And right. I remember my dad every t- said, uh, anytime anybody's ever said that, they were standing on a building when they said it. That's right. It is, but having the having the approach that it's a tool, not and it's not about the place. It it really is about the ministry. Don, I want to come back to something we you mentioned earlier on in our conversation here. Um, Dr. Jay Moon is a a professor at Asbury and a a friend of Exponential. He wrote uh, Entrepreneurial Church Planning and also uh, Missional Approach to the Marketplace, which is a a free ebook from from Exponential. But he, uh, as an advocate for, for uh, entrepreneurialism and church planning, he uses the acronym MINS. And so the M is for monetize existing church resources. Two is to incubate new businesses. Three is nonprofits as mission arms of the church. Four is co-vocational pastoring for multiple income streams. And five is entrepreneurial churches located inside the marketplace. Thinking about the, that first one of those, monetize existing church resources, are, do you see... Are, are there examples for churches to uh, to monetize their their facilities? Um, oh, there's, there's so many ways, but again, it depends on the community, and it it really begins with a good understanding of what the needs are surrounding you. There are times when the answer to a childcare facility is no, but there's times when it's a big yes. There's times when we're doing one down in. Orlando right now that is a uh, built around the idea of athletics because there's a there's a strong need for a professional uh, type of training facility professionally run training facility and so they've got people on board who are contributing towards a Olympic pool and the training facilities that are associated with that uh, that's not only going to draw people through there but it's going to draw income through there um, event center type spaces we've got one in Portland right now with a group of three churches that are consolidating in one central location that are going to be putting childcare, event centers, shared office space together in one facility. So again, it depends and it, and it begins with a, a, a good objective business understanding of, is this going to, is this a need or, or are we building it hoping they will come? We're not real strong build it and they will come type groups here. We, we think that uh, they may come, but they may not. So you better do your homework ahead of time from a business standpoint and understand things. Uh, we've seen some incredible things. We had a church down in uh, Southern California that got stopped by the pandemic, but this was a facility that was largely being driven by a uh, an organization that makes uh, replacement teeth of all things. And they consolidate, c- consolidated their business right into the church 
and designed a facility where they could do both of those things and join, conjoin those two things together so that the profit from the company that was doing the teeth, and he was an associate pastor, by the way, that had the skill from his father, uh, conjoined this. And so that line's been blurred now. Um, there's a lot of people who are in business who have thought of very creative ways that they can conjoin together with ministry to make that a profit center for the church. But again, it has to be done in a reasonable way so that you don't get in over your head committing to facilities that simply aren't a need for the community. So, Yeah. And I want to remind everybody, if you have questions, feel free to send them in and, and Brooks will pass them along to us and uh, we'll see if we can get those answered. I know that there have been some questions in the chat that you, you all have been answering for each other. So that's, that's kind of cool to see um, as well. Um, I, uh, as you, th- you, you mentioned about less come and see, and, and again, that's what we're seeing. And obviously exponential exists to, about sending and releasing. You know, we want to see that become the primary metric of the, of the church. Um, and I, I think back to, a, um, Joe Myers wrote a book called Search the Belong, probably 12 or 13 years ago now. And he, he really brought this idea uh, Edward T. Hall did this research back, I think, in the 60s about proxemics and this idea that we develop relationships in four spaces, intimate, personal, social, and public space. And typically in the common C approach, it's been about the public space. You know, it's been about, you know, in fact, a lot of churches, when they when they put their services online, that they just created, you know, the public space. They were just, you know, inviting people into a virtual sanctuary instead of uh, but I think there are opportunities. It seems like there are opportunities for the personal and social space. So as you're, as you're uh, designing spaces for people to actually connect, how does, is there, I mean, are there, are there things you would tell churches to think about or to look for, um, you know, Don, in terms of design and Matt, you know, maybe in, in your facilities, where have you seen people connect? What have you done to help people really connect on a, in, a, in sort of that personal space and that social space? Well, that, that's really interesting, the, the way that you phrase that question. Um, a lot of times people will focus on the, uh, the gathering space, or we call it third place space, where people intentionally connect. But a lot of times that does, uh, that's begun really in worship. We've gone from a very liturgical style worship to a very communal worship, where we feel like we are together worshiping rather than there to observe worship. And then we leave there feeling like a community, and then the space is made available to us that that has a variety of different kinds of spaces, large space, space for navigating through that space, but also some subset spaces where people can gather in a different form, where they can come together and uh, have small groups, uh, maybe even, you know, during the week, they can utilize that space for a variety of different ways. So that, that space outside has become even more important, but, it, but it's really a reflection of what's going on inside the worship uh, space itself. Matt, I want to add to that. One of the things uh, that we talk about a lot at Building God's Way is like the old model of building church buildings was very linear, which meant to, to get to space B, you had to walk through space A, right? And kind of uh, decode a, a building and how do I get downstairs and how do I get to the kids ministry area? And it was pretty intimidating to walk into, right? Um, I often say, like, we're, we're all used to living around the brokenness of our own homes, right? Uh, why don't you fix that drawer that's been broken in your kitchen for the last three years? Because you've just learned how to work around it. You got to pick it up and pull it out. You know, you, you've got to work around what's broken and not working. And a lot of times in churches, we just have done that for so long. It is the way it is because that's the way 
that it's always been. And I think one of the things when we look at church space is how do you create safe space that people can walk into and get out of without having to go deeper? Because you might have people that never penetrate that third space or the lobby of your church for six months before ever walking into uh, an auditorium or what we call a sanctuary, which by the way is a very intimidating uh, language, isn't it? It's a very scary language for people. So how do we create uh, easy entrance and easy exit? Because if we don't connect with people casually, um, and a lot of times we focus so much on being sticky as a church, which I believe in, but we, we can't be handsy where we're just like grabbing a hold of people. Like we've got to allow it to happen naturally. So And that's one of the big things that as we design a building, we're saying, how do we create space that flows uh, well and where people can, uh, you know, you kind of see the building as a picture of relationship, like on my own time and in my own comfort, I'll get deeper into this building. Uh, But for now, I just want to stay on the outside looking in. Are we creating that easy, accessible space? That's really a reflection too of the community. So Mm -hmm. evolved from the YMCA, which is linear, to the modern community center coming to a, a central space, clear front door, lots of visibility, and then being able to perceive everything that's going on surrounding that space. Yeah. And, well, one of my roles at uh, Exponential here is uh, just helping denominational network leaders navigate the resources of Exponential. So I talk to a lot of them. And, and again, leading up to the, the pandemic, one of the, one of the, topics that were seem to be on the top of just about everybody's mind were micro expressions. And, and that again, has just been accelerated um, by the pandemic. We saw last year, JD Greer, president of Southern Baptist convention um, said, Hey, we're not going to meet till at least 2021. We're going to 2,400 house churches. Uh, um, Dave Ferguson from community Christian were just kind of went all in on, on uh, small uh, micro expressions, uh, their community groups and that sort of thing. And so, there is the, the, you know, there, there's, it's an interesting change. And so I'm, I, I guess, Matt, I'm kind of interested if micro expressions were on your radar at all. And Don, I'd be interested in your thoughts as, as you're designing now, this is an even another um, uh, way to be thinking about facilities as more of a training uh, place and, and a networking hub, as opposed to, to, you know, where this is the one place where everybody would would uh, work out of. But Matt, I was just curious, is, are micro expressions on, is, is that something you guys have looked at at all? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a, uh, so one of the things that's interesting about our model at the Genesis Project is uh, we do a lot of work in recovery. We do a lot of work in, um, in, in reaching people where they're at, whether it's an addiction, coming out of incarceration in, in the hard places of life. And what we've even found is a lot of times we're designing our building around microgroups meeting, right. To where uh, we have a lot of people in our community that maybe don't have the home uh, that, that they feel comfortable or willing to open up to an individual, you know, uh, but are ready and capable to lead a group. So even when it comes to utilizing our space, what we find is, is that that micro expression of our church is actually using our building more Monday through Saturday than we ever have before. Um, And one of the things we say often about our building is we want it to be the living room of our community. You know, we want to make sure that there's hundreds of keys to our building that are floating around in our congregation that people are uh, ready and willing to use that. Because I think sometimes um, the house church model works really well in the suburbs where people have homes that are capable and they're proud to show those off. 
uh, sometimes that model falls apart if we're not careful inside of communities of need uh, that are struggling because people are living in situations they don't want to invite church friends over or don't have the capacity or maybe aren't allowed to have people into their homes. And so I think even a church building there can begin to look at itself as a micro expression. How are we inviting in narcotics anonymous, uh, alcoholics anonymous groups, this uh, mother's group over here using our community as a hub that says, come in and do community, do life together and let us support that and create the space for that to happen. Um, How do we become the living room of our community where the majority of the people who live in our community don't have living rooms? Yeah, good. Don, in terms of design, what, uh, what are things that maybe to keep in mind for churches that have become networks of uh, networking stations for micro expressions? It's funny. um, uh, I talked about flexibility earlier and, and I talked about it in terms of the way that you would make some kind of a shift from one change to another permanent change. But I've seen some good examples and participated in several uh, designs of spaces. I, I remember a few years ago going into a church that we didn't design and saw a space that was their lobby foyer space that was very easily and readily transitioning during the week to 10 individual places where people could meet. I was there on a Tuesday afternoon at two o'clock and four of the 10 were filled with people. And they had done it in such a way that it gave them a little bit of visual privacy, a little bit of acoustical privacy. They had thought through those things well enough to be able to make that work. And they had thought through the storage needs of what it's going to take to take those chairs and couches and dividers and quickly and efficiently move them out of the way so that that very same space became a gathering space for the 1200 seat auditorium space. So really important. You got to have good storage nearby or otherwise you're going to end up with stacks of furniture up against the wall, which is a cluttered and unnecessary look. And so uh, I think churches need flexibility, certainly in the long term, but they need short term flexibility because spaces can can be transitioned. Sometimes the complaint comes for where we're going to have to find some people that simply do nothing but move furniture. Yes, right. That's right. And what a great ministry, a furniture mover in the church that does that sort of thing. Uh, so I, I think that those kinds of things can be tremendously effective tools as long as you're set up to be able to make those transitions as efficiently as possible. Great. Well, I, I, I have one more question for both of you, and, and I'm, I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell people about the Future Church Summit, so I'm going to give you a chance to think about it. But, you know, um, Wayne Gretzky's famous for, for saying his success was, was in skating to where the puck was going to be not skating to where it is. And so I'd be interested in what you have to, uh, what you would tell churches to be thinking about for the, for the future, where you think maybe uh, things are headed. Um, you know, what are some things that maybe they should be thinking about that um, just even a year ago, they weren't. So I'll give you, I'll give you a second to, to think about that. I, I do want to tell you, those of you that are, are watching with us today, that um, if you're eager to learn about emerging trends and innovations that are shaping the church uh, uh, church multiplication, and, and really we're thinking in terms of we want to do more than just survive, that this really is a time uh, to thrive in 2021, and, and particularly in terms of kingdom multiplication. And I want to invite you to uh, join Exponential for the Future of the Church Summit that will take place from 1 to 5 p.m. Eastern on Thursday, March 4th. And it's a great opportunity to just um, invite the leaders of your church, 
to be part of that. It's free to sign up. Uh, some of the top church leaders in America will be responding to some of the rapid changes that we're seeing in multiplication and, and really walking you through on what uh, needs to happen on uh, or what what is happening on the on the cutting edge. The other the other option you have coming out of this too is you can actually host a roundtable with that same content. You can you and it's free to host a roundtable. Um, the you, you have the exact same content that we part of this future of the church summit as well as additional videos. And everybody that attends your roundtable also gets a, a, a copy of that entire kit, which is really an incredible value. And you see on the, the screen there, the, uh, the website, if you go to multiplication.org backslash host, you'll see um, uh, some information about the roundtables. And then also uh, you'll see a, a list of, of uh, Zoom calls that you can jump in and, uh, and get your questions answered. So um, yeah, thank you for that. And now I wanna come back. So. You guys, where's the puck going to be? Where's the puck headed? You know, what what advice would you give churches? And and I'm interested in both of you, Matt. You know, from a pastoral perspective, Don, as as people are thinking about you know facilities, um, what advice would you give church leaders? Matt, I'm I'm waiting for your answer on this one. Awesome. I think one of the things that we see is. Um, potentially that my generation as a leader being the end of what we have called full-time vocational ministry. Um, the, the dynamic of the church is changing uh, so rapidly. And Bill, you brought up the, you know, the micro church movement, the home church movement, the, um, the facilities. And I mean, you look at most church budgets and the two dominant light items in any church budget is facility and staff, Right. And I think one of the ways that we need to move is how are we raising up the next generation of leaders to be entrepreneurs, to be people who understand that in order to do ministry, I need multiple strings of revenue and income in my own life, but also to know that tent making isn't just the responsibility of a pastor. It's the movement of a church to think, how do we stay viable? Uh, how do we continue to do the things that God's called us to do in a community, in a changing landscape and um you know, I even look at the churches we're planting right now and church planning in the past has been so dominant on uh, one leader uh, passing the test and, you know, living into what we always hoped that they could do in a community. And I think we're going to have to start looking at that differently. Uh, how are we equipping groups of people? How are we uh, encouraging young women and young men inside of the church to, to think differently about economics and calling in ministry and moving beyond this model that says, if I can't get a full-time paycheck, then I can't do ministry. Um, and that's, we need to start changing that today. I think inside of our own churches and our staff and how we hire the training that we're affording individuals. I know for me coming out of Bible college and seminary, it was a steep curve to learn business and entrepreneurship and how to think on your feet. Um, so what are we investing in the next generation uh, to ensure that there's a next group of leaders that are ready to take this mantle from us. Yeah, man, that's, that's beautiful. I love it. If we can eliminate that clergy laity divide and really empower the priesthood of all believers, yep. and, you know, you read the end of Ephesians one, where Jesus, the head of the church to fill all in all, you know, there'll never be enough vocational pastors to do that. So beginning to see, you know, to, to just how, help everybody recognize we're all full-time pastors. We just aren't all going to draw a paycheck from the church. 
and where does God call you? That's yeah, it's really beautiful. Uh, Don, what you know, we're in terms of facilities, and and you certainly mentioned this one, this opportunities, retail spaces that are going to become more and more available. Um, are there other uh, suggestions or things to think about for the church? Well, certainly uh, the kinds of space that is available to us now, um, but but even in the planning of new facilities, you know, how how do we go about doing that differently? It, it's funny. Um, you know, a few years ago, a lot of people were into creating fun um, environments or event style worship services and so on and so forth. And I think that there's been kind of a sobering up of, of getting down to the basics. Uh, you know, we used, to, we used to say, well, you know, this new generation wants it to be real. They want it to be real on steroids now. I mean, real, real. And so getting back to real, uh, how do we really connect to community? How do we really affect people for the gospel, I think is so important as, as opposed to creating the big splash event or the fun event and getting to that sort of thing. And how does a facility really accommodate that? How does that make that happen? Um, I, I think that's going to be um, ever more present in the way that we go about doing things. Uh, I think there are opportunities out there for repurposing existing facilities. I think there's, um, you know, I, I remember in 2008 when when uh, in September, whatever date that was, September 8th or 10th or whenever all the financial institutions imploded, suddenly there was a, a vast amount of car dealerships that came into the marketplace. And car de- dealerships, by the way, make really great churches, really good exposures and so forth. But looking around our communities to see what's available out there, um, but but as Matt has mentioned, blurring that line between uh, between business, between uh, those that are engaged in a secular way to derive their income and how they merge that personally into their ministry is going to be ever more present. And how do we do that? And how does the church facility accommodate that in the future? Um, We're we're seeing these odd combinations of tooth manufacturing and worship facility and kids and so forth, all happening in the same facility. That's that's just one slice example of kinds of weird things we're seeing going on out there where people are thinking creatively about how to make this whole in my life and how do I engage with the church to do that? And one of the things, Bill, that that we see is this, is bad business models oftentimes make a whole lot of sense for churches. So if I'm going to go out and start a business on my own, that pro forma is going to include rent, utilities, taxes, and before I ever break even, right? right? And so that may not make sense for me to open that business. The church opens that business. All of a sudden, we're generating eight, ten thousand dollars a month in as just rent it paying back to us. It makes a whole lot of sense. So there's a lot of times a church is so used to bleeding in the red. All we do is lose, right? <laughs> All we do is pay out. Sometimes we can bring these models in, and it's not rocket science uh, because we're utilizing our staff differently. Uh, and we're utilizing our buildings in a more sustainable way. Okay. Guys, thank you so much. And those of you that have been watching, I want to invite you, uh, Building God's Way has a booth in the hub there and would invite you to, to check that out. And uh, Matt and Donna, man, I just want to thank you guys for this time today. I appreciate your input. Thank you. The work that you're doing. Awesome. Thank you so much. God bless.